Well, good morning again. Glad you're all here today. If you could please open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 20, or Psalm 20. Psalm 20 is a, a psalm of David to the chief musician, to the Lord himself. And this psalm differs from most of the other psalms in that the first five verses are believed to be a prayer of the people for David before he went into battle. And the last four verses are believed to be David's response after their prayer. The first five verses use the pronoun you or your 11 times as they prayed for David. And then it's not used at all in the last four verses. So as we read through it, look for that transition and, and think about what the people are praying for David, how we could be praying for our leaders, and then what his response is. So beginning in verse 1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Selah. I'm going to skip the head verse. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, May the king answer us when we call. David was preparing for battle. He was about to enter into warfare. And so the people prayed to the Lord for him. They prayed to the Lord, asking the Lord to answer him, defend him, help him, strengthen him, remember his offerings, accept his sacrifice, grant his heart's desire and fulfill his purpose and petitions. Now, most of us here don't enter a a physical battle or spiritual warfare on any sort of regular basis. But whether we're aware of it or not, we do enter into spiritual warfare on a regular basis. Sometimes it's more evident than others, but sometimes we're just blind to it and don't realize it. We need to be aware of it. And we need to approach it with prayer. We need to prepare each day for prayer. There's a a quote from Andrew Murray, and I'd like to read it to you. It's got this awesome book called The Prayer Life, and it talks about praying and, and the importance of it and the sin of prayerlessness. It says, how does Satan hinder prayer? By temptation to postpone it or curtail it, by bringing in wandering thoughts and all sorts of distractions through unbelief and hopelessness. Happy is the prayer hero who, through it all, takes care to hold fast and use his weapon. Like the Lord in Gethsemane, the more violently the enemy attacked, the more earnestly he prayed and ceased not 
till he had obtained the victory. Do we pray regularly? Do we pray for our leaders? Do we pray for one another? Do we pray for our children, for our spouses? Not just once in a while, but are we that diligent in prayer? We should be. And I want to encourage you to consider how the people prayed for David before he went into battle. In verse 1, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. The congregation prays that the Lord, and that Lord in your Bibles is all capital. It represents Jehovah. And where that comes from is when Moses had said to God, when he was asked, when God told him to lead the, the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses said to God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent you. What does that I am mean? Who is this I am? It's the God of all eternity. Some people are praying, so the people are praying for God of all eternity to answer David in the day of trouble. The God over all, all powerful, all knowing, that's who they're praying for. It's not some God afar off or some created God or just some hope. We're sending you good wishes, David. Good luck to you. No, they're praying for the God of all eternity, the most powerful God who is capable of answering and willing and desires to answer the prayers of his people when they cry out to him. I find it interesting that the prayer isn't to keep him out of trouble. They're not praying, God, keep him out of trouble. Jesus himself tells us that in this life you'll have tribulation. And I bet every one of here can testify that there's been tribulation in your life in some way over the past year. Some of us may, may be more extreme than others. But we all encounter that tribulation. And yet, the prayer is that God would answer in the time of trouble. And we know that he does. I also find it interesting that the prayer assumes that David will be calling out in the day of trouble. That their leader is going to seek God in the day of trouble. How awesome that is if you know that the leader of your country, the leader of your city, your state, or whoever, that your leaders call out to God for help. We need to pray that the Lord would raise up more godly leaders for our country that would seek the Lord in times of trouble and before times of trouble, that they would seek the Lord every day in all things. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you is the second part of verse 1. How can a name defend you? Do you just go out and stand up to your enemy and say, I am, and they fall over? Well, it's true that when Jesus said to, to uh, the Pharisees, he said, I am, and they fell backwards. One of the songs we sang was, there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. But the phrase, may the God of Jacob, it implies that God is 
it implies his power, his authority. What is the name of God? There's many different names for God. Jehovah, Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Jehovah Tiskanu, the Lord, our righteousness. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see and provide. The name of the Lord encompasses who God is, and that's who they were praying to. In Psalm 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. We can always run to the Lord and picture a a strong tower, one that can't be broken down. When there's turmoil around, where do you run? Who do you turn to? Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people just isolate themselves. But we have an almighty God that we can turn to in the time of trouble. And so often we forget that. Whether it's because of overwhelming worry, anxiety, things that are going on in the world that are distractions, but we can always run to him. The name of the God of Jacob. One commentator says the following about this reference. He says, God of Jacob is one of several names of God that celebrate his relationship with individuals in the Old Testament. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are mentioned most often. These names don't suggest that God is limited in relationships with just a few select people. Each time we read a name like this, one should, like this one, we should reflect on how that individual knew God. What did God show them? What did he do for them? How did they grow in their relationship with God? Jacob's spiritual journey is interesting. He began by calling God, God of my father Isaac and God of my father Abraham. We would call Abraham Jacob's grandfather, but that's how he referred to him. Later in life, Jacob had a more personal relationship with God. Jacob's name was changed. It went from meaning, as Jacob does, supplanter, underminer, deceiver. And God changed his name later in life to Israel, meaning God, may God prevail. He struggles with God. God perseveres and contends. The name of the God of Jacob is so much there when we think and remember that he's not just a God far off, as I often say. He is available for an individual relationship with each one of us. And that, to me, is awesome, that, that we, that, that Joe from Algonquin, Illinois, can have a relationship and talk to Almighty God who created everything. Isn't that awesome? So often we forget that. Oh, yeah, I grew up knowing God, or you know, I, I accepted the Lord a while ago. We have a relationship with Almighty God. That, to me, is, is so often, and I confess to you, my brothers and sisters, I forget that, and I take it for granted many times. You know, we throw up a quick prayer, but we forget who we're praying to. Verse 2, may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. 
The sanctuary and Zion both signify God's presence. When David had recaptured the Ark of the Covenant, it was kept in the tabernacle on Mount Zion. This prayer is for the presence of the Lord to go with David and help him and strengthen him. And verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. David made offerings to the Lord in, in the form of burnt offerings, which were performed for the atonement of sins. So this was a prayer for the Lord to remember David's faithfulness to him as demonstrated through his offerings that, that David could go into battle in righteousness. And remember it from Proverbs 13, 6, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. So the people are praying that the Lord would remember who David is. Not that the Lord would forget. And many times when we're praying these things, it's, it's almost as though we're, we're mind, reminding one, of, one another of who God is. Because God's not going to forget us. He never forgets us. And then the last word there in verse 3, Selah, there's some different views on what that means, but the most commonly accepted is to stop, to pause, to think, to meditate, because something that was said was very important. May God remember all of your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Thankfully, because God sent his son Jesus, we don't need to offer any burnt sacrifices anymore. The sacrifice is finished. But we need to stop and remember what that sacrifice was. We need to stop and think, where is our relationship with the Lord? In verse 4, it continues, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Now, if David is going forth in righteousness, his desire, his desires, would be righteous desires, those that the Lord would have him to desire. And therefore, the people can pray, knowing that they're praying according to the, the Lord's will, that the Lord would grant David his righteous desires and fulfill or accomplish all he sets out to do. Because if, he, if David is truly a righteous king, a righteous leader, he's not seeking his own benefit. He's looking out for the good of those that he rules over. He's seeking first and foremost God's will for the people. How awesome that is for people that have a leader like that. In verse 5, it continues and says, We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. The people are expressing their confidence in the Lord to save David as he goes into battle, that he will go through battle. And they're all ex already expressing that they have confidence that they will celebrate when he returns. He's even gone out to battle, but their confidence in the Lord is so great. They can go, when he gets back, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to set up banners. And those banners aren't going to be David, the great leader, but they're going to be banners in the name of our God. And David wouldn't take offense at that. Because I know when he went against Goliath, his he wasn't saying, oh, I'm going to take him out, but he's, he relied upon what God had already done, and he relied upon God's strength to give him victory over Goliath. In Matthew 21, verse 22, it says, And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing 
you will receive. Now, I've heard some faith teachers say, you know, if you see that house and that car up on the hill and you want it, you just speak those words and you believe and God's going to give that to you. Does that sound like a righteous prayer or a selfish prayer? A very selfish prayer. Righteousness takes our focus off of ourselves and focuses on the Lord and for the good of others. Then they close their prayer by asking the Lord to fulfill all David's petitions. Lord, when he prays, hear his prayer, answer his prayer. Are we, asking, are we praying as fervently for the leaders of our country as the people prayed for David? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, many of you are familiar with this, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And then the rest of that verse says, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Many times we look at this and we go, okay, we need to be praying for our leaders. It says that we should be doing that. Does it say to pray for kings and those in authority who we agree with? Those who we like? Those who we think are on our side? Or does it say, and it does say this, for all who are in authority? We look at what's going on in our country today. The turmoil, the uncertainty, the divisions. Do we blame it on others? Because this group is saying that or this group is doing that. And they are. And that's part of it. But what about us? Brothers and sisters, what about us? Are we sitting by idly? Are we pointing fingers at others? Or are we praying for the leaders of our country? We ought to be praying. And I confess, I don't pray as much as I should. I don't always pray for everyone. And if you prayed for everyone in Congress by name individually, it could take you a really long time. I get that. But are you praying for the ones in your community? Are you praying for the ones that represent your district? Are you praying for the current president? Are you praying about the elections? God isn't it's not all about the United States of America. We so often can, can look at it and say, our country. Are we looking at God's kingdom? What does God want? Where is our focus? Do we want our country to be back to normal so we can have comfortable lives? So that we, we can have all the stuff we want? At the end of 1 Timothy, I'm going to read through it one more time. I, I want you to hear this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, so not just for those in authority, but for all people, and for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Why should we be praying for our leaders? that more people would come to know 
the Savior. Not for our safety and security, not for our benefit, but that God's kingdom, God's kingdom would be expanded, that there would be more to give glory to God, that more souls would be saved for all of eternity. That's why we should be praying. Is that a sense of urgency? The Israelites, when they were praying for David, there was a sense of urgency. He was going out into battle. We are in the midst of the battle, brothers and sisters. We are in the midst of it. And the greatest weapon we have is prayer. That God, who loves us, wants us to call upon him. Almighty God, to call upon him, to help our leaders, that we would see our neighbors, our family. We would see leaders of our country getting saved. We need to keep things in perspective, and sometimes I lose that perspective. Looking at verse 6, it's kind of where the transition takes place. It says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some commentators believe this was said by the high priest. Others believe it was said by David. And there's some some various ideas on on how David wrote this down and what the sources of these. But if we look at these as, as David in his response to the prayers of the congregation, it's as though David is acknowledging their prayers and then speaks for all the people, himself included, as their king and their leader. David was the anointed king. David knew that the Lord saves him. He has saved him through many battles already. And he will answer him. Again, that confidence in the Lord, expressing in in knowing the Lord saves. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. What does it mean that he saves with his right hand? The right hand is commonly believed most people are right-handed. That's the strongest hand. That's the most powerful hand. God doesn't hold anything back. He has the strength to save and deliver us. How awesome that is to know. So the saving strength of the Lord's right hand is the Lord's greatest strength. And we can have confidence that the Lord's great strength is able to save David and able to save us as well. Verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Many, when going into battle, trust in the weapons that they have and the, the visible strength that they see around them. These are the things we can trust, and we can see that this is what we're going to do. But instead of trusting what appears on the surface, we should be remembering the name of the Lord our God. And not just remember, oh yeah, I am. Or oh yeah, I remember it, Jehovah. Or I remember Jesus. But what that name represents and who he is. This remembering is not just remembering God's name, but what he has delivered them from in the past and what God is capable of. It's not our God, in the name of our God, like we created him, but it's our God, who is our Father in heaven, 
In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. We're God's children. Now, not only is God of all creation the most powerful, awesome God, someone that we can call upon and will hear our prayers, he's our Father. We're his children. awesome that is in verse 8 it says they have bowed down and fallen that's those who are trusting in chariots and horses but we have risen and stand upright those who have trusted in chariots and horses have bowed down and fallen they have been defeated if we look back when the Israelites were were exiting um, Egypt the Pharaoh and his, his armies, chariots and horses chased after the Israelites into the sea. All that power and strength, God was greater. God delivered his children. And through the blood of Jesus, if we've received him as our Savior, we too are his children. No matter what's chasing after us, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, God can see us through it. The world in which we're living is, is a lot less predictable than it was even at the beginning of this year, or last year at this time. And who would have thought that at the beginning of this year that most of the world's economies would shut down? Who would have thought that Schools would be shut down, and there'd be arguments and debates whether or not the children should go back to school or not or be taught from home. I never saw that coming. Did any of you? I sure didn't. Who would have thought that we'd be walking around with, with masks on our faces to try to stop a virus? To go to the grocery store, we need to put a mask on. Didn't see that coming. And I'm not here to argue whether it's effective or not. And there's all those debates. But the whole thing is, none of this was foreseen by us. We didn't see it. Who would have thought that there would be the riots in the streets that we've seen? Who would have thought that Portland would be taken over, not just for a day or part of it, but for over months? Who would think that rioters would be allowed to destroy parts of cities? And that the leaders of those cities would back off and say, oh, that's their right. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen by the end of this year? I could go on with other things, but I think you get my point. We're living in very uncertain and unpredictable times. In the midst of this, I ask you, who are you trusting? Are we trusting in the elections and the presidential candidate? Are we trusting in uh, the strength of the United States economy, that even though there's been all these setbacks, that it still seems strong in certain ways? Are we trusting in our retirement funds? Yeah, the rest of the world's okay, but, but I still, I've got my, my futures taken care of. This I'll be okay. What are we trusting in? want to encourage you to trust in the Lord. I'm going to read some psalms 
I love the Psalms. I heard someone say once when, when he was younger, the Psalms didn't really interest him all that much because uh, they were kind of poetic. And, you know, that was good for, like, the older ladies in the church maybe who like poetry and, and that sort of thing. But he said, as I've gotten older, I've gotten to really appreciate what the Psalms say. And with that in mind, I want you to consider, no matter how old you are, what the Psalms say to us, what David recorded. Many of the Psalms are written by David, not all of them. But I'd like to read, first of all, from Isaiah 31, verse 1. There's a warning. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for, for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many. And in the horsemen, because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Psalm 9, verse 10. I'll be going through it in, in order, so you might be able to follow along, but that's um, up to you. Uh, Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The Lord will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. It may feel like it at some times. Go, God, what's going on? How am I in this circumstance? How am I in this situation? Where are you? Do we trust him? As children, did we ever have to trust our parents? Sometimes when we don't see them, didn't see them. Sometimes as parents, do we ask our children to trust us in something that maybe they don't understand? They don't feel it. They don't, they don't see where we're at. We expect our children to trust us. And as children, we've, we've trusted our parents at different times. We can trust Almighty God unflinchingly. But it is a choice. Whether we allow things from this world to seep into our mind, the distractions of fears that, whether it's from ourself or from others, or from the enemy himself. We need to choose. Trusting is a choice. It's not a feeling. Kind of like love. A lot of people think, oh, I, I fell into love, and now I fell out of love. No, love isn't just a feeling. It's a choice. And so is trusting. Do we trust God for our salvation? We prayed. We said, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I acknowledge you as my Savior and Lord. Help me, lead me. May I follow you with all my heart. And then we trust that we're saved. Do we trust him in our daily lives too? If he could save us for all of eternity, can he not save us and help us in, in daily problems? He will not forsake us. Psalm 56, verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Again, our first instinct when we're afraid sometimes is to panic, it's to run, it's to flee. Or when we're afraid, do we stop? Say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I trust in you. And I, I can't help but, but share this with you. When I was, um, many of you know this, when I was uh, 16, my father died of a heart attack in May. When I was 17, 
My sister was killed in an accident out in California on Thanksgiving Day. And in between, my mother had a very difficult time dealing with my father's death. And it was one of the most difficult times of my life. And I, on Thanksgiving Day, we just finished eating dinner, and I found out that my sister had been killed in an accident. And as a senior in high school, I had the next day off. And I woke up, and I was scared. My sister, about a year and a half prior to that, had come to know the Lord and was radically saved and loved Jesus so dearly. But I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen next. So I prayed. And uh, my sister had told me the importance of praying every day. Not just thanking God for our meal, but spending time with him. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Some people can have more time in the morning, the evening. That doesn't matter. But to spend serious time in prayer with the Lord. And she talked to me about the importance of reading the Bible every day. Ten minutes, one page, two pages, but, but be in the Word each day. So here I am, I'm scared, and I didn't know where to turn, except to the Lord. And I cried out to him, and I said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen now. Who's going to die next? How's my mom going to react? What's going to happen? I said, Lord, please help me. I need your help. In Jesus' name, I pray. I reached over next to my bed, and I opened up my New Testament. Opened it up like I often would. Just kind of random reading. I opened up. I opened up the First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For those of us who have died in Christ will rise in Christ, and those of us who are left behind will rise and meet the Lord together, meet the Lord in the air. And I'm paraphrasing. Therefore, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There was a time of trouble. I didn't know where to turn. I had faith in God. I, I don't know that I was actually even saved at that point. Because I would go to church, but I was seeking him. And all who seek him find him. And he is faithful to answer and help us through those things. I encourage you to consider, to remember, not to consider, but to remember to call upon the Lord, for he is faithful. When you're afraid, trust in the Lord. In Psalm 62, verse 8, it says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart. He's our father. We can get down on our knees before him. If he can't get down on our knees physically... We can get down on our knees in our heart and pour out our heart. We can be honest with, Lord, I don't understand this. Why are you doing this to me? Maybe he's not. Why are you allowing this? Help me, Lord. These are my fears. These are my concerns. These are my doubts. Pour out your heart. Have you ever poured out your heart to the Lord? Just pour it all out to him. I don't get it, Lord. I've been praying for this for years and it's still a struggle or you haven't answered. I don't get it, Lord. We can be honest with God. Going to God in prayer isn't praying in old English. Oh, thou most holiest of holies. It's not using a different voice when we pray to the Lord. It's going to our Father. Saying, Lord, I don't get it. Pour out your heart to the Lord. He is a refuge for us. 
Psalm 91, verse 2, says, It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. I am so thankful that although I went through some difficult times when I was a teenager, that I can share with people how God answered. That's one of his works, and I can declare it to other people and encourage others to seek him. The difficult things that we've gone through when God's delivered us from them, we can say, hey, look, look what God did. I had no way out. When we are weak, that's when he is strong. The weaker we are, the more he gets glorified. In James, it says, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, but let patience if it's perfect work, that we may be perfect and complete, may be mature and complete. Count it all joy. If we don't have anyone that we can trust in and we're in the midst of turmoil, how can we possibly have joy? But when we have God on our side, we can have joy. And that doesn't mean, oh, we're all happy about things, but inside we know that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against? Amen. 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 Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it says, It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Even those who have power and authority over us, it is better to put trust in God. That's where our trust belongs. In Psalm 125, verse 1, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Sometimes we may struggle in our faith. We may waver. We may fall back into sin. We may wander. But if we're trusting in the Lord daily, try to move me. You can move me, but you can't move my God who keeps me here. My strength and my faith and my trust isn't in myself. It's not in other men. It's in God and him alone. Psalm 143, verses 7 and 8. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. This is pouring out. This is pouring out our heart to God. Answer me speedily. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me. The psalmist here feels like God is absent from his life. Don't hide your face from me. I need to see you working. Lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. I trust you not just with my life here, but my very soul, my entire being and existence, I trust to you. Going on in Psalm 146, it says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, and he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope, is in the Lord his God. When we don't know what's going to happen, where are we going to go, what's going, what should we do? On a daily basis, we should be preparing for that before we go into battle. 
one of my favorite verses that's grown, it, it, the longer I've walked with the Lord, it's, it's the most important, well, not the most important one, but it's one of the most important verses to me in my, in my daily life. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you know it by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just some of it. With all of it. Have we completely surrendered our trust to the Lord? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It doesn't say don't think. It's not a blind faith. We have understanding. God gives us understanding, but we shouldn't be leaning upon that. We need to lean upon the Lord's wisdom. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. All your ways acknowledge him. Are there parts of our lives, things in our life, that we're not acknowledging to him? Do we think about things and say, how does this glorify God? How does this further his kingdom? How does this point others to Jesus? Does this lead others away? Could this cause my brother or sister to fall in some way? I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not setting down rules and regulations. That's not what it's here about. It's about honoring the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. And if he's directing our paths, we can trust him. If we trust him, we don't have to be fearful. As earlier I talked about trusting in our riches in, in 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly to enjoy all things. We trust in the Lord. And when we do, we can have a perfect peace, as it says in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. It says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. And then as Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Do we trust the Lord that even when it looks like we're going in a dead end, there's no way out of here. Okay, Lord, I trust you. You're going to deliver me. One way or another, you're going to get me through it. Someday, on the other side of this life, if we're trusting the Lord for salvation, we too will rise and stand upright because of the righteousness we have from the Lord. The last verse says, Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. And that's not saying may King David answer us when we call on him for help. That's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Have you called out to him to save you? Are you honoring him with your life? Someday we're going to stand before him. And no matter what happens, I guarantee you, there's not, God will never say, you trusted me too much. I really believe it's absolutely impossible for us to trust God too much. We can be presumptuous and say, oh, I'm going to do this and trust that God's going to bless it. But we should only do that 
if we're acknowledging him in that and we're praying and seeking him first and we clearly know that's the direction he's leading us and then we can say, I know this is where the Lord's going to lead me and I can trust in him. Is Jesus your king? We, use this, we throw out the phrase, he's Savior and Lord. Is he Lord of every part of your life? Have we surrendered it? Do we go before him and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Okay, I know I have my job. It's Monday morning. It's going to be Monday morning tomorrow. I know I have my job. I've got a responsibility to go there. Is that where you want me to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? It looks like that's where you want me to be today. I want to acknowledge my way to him the beginning of each day and then throughout the day. Lord, I'm on my way home from work. What would you have me to do this evening? How do you want me to spend my evening? Or are we looking, oh, I'm tired. I want to go home and just plop down. Lord, is tonight a night for rest? Should I be resting tonight? Maybe I should. I'm tired, Lord. I need rest. And we could rest. I almost said we can rest in peace. <laughs> but we can. We can rest with peace in our heart, knowing that the Lord doesn't want us to be laboring so hard that we drive ourselves to an early grave. But when we're seeking, Lord, is this from you? Is this what you want me to do? I'm asking... Not if you said a prayer at one time in your life. I'm not asking if you regularly do Christian things. I'm asking if you fully surrendered your life to the King of Kings and that you are his servant. I close with Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can trust in you. No matter what this world throws our way, no matter what unforeseen things happen, that we can always turn to you. You never leave us nor forsake us and that we can trust in you how awesome it is that we are the children of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Almighty God of all creation. What a privilege it is. Help us never to take that privilege for granted. Lord, help us to still our hearts when we're fearful, that we can remember that we can cast all our cares upon you knowing that you care for us. How awesome it is to know that you know the answer to our prayers before we even knew that we needed to pray about them and that you are always faithful and that you work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, empower us by your Holy Spirit to live fully for you, to surrender our lives completely. Our words, our actions, our thoughts, may they all be surrendered to you for your glory. For you alone are worthy to be honored and glorified and praised 
Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word. We just ask now that you would go before us, that we could be lights in the midst of darkness. Give us your eyes to see others, eyes of compassion for the lost, the hurting. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and be led by you and your spirit every moment of every day for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.